You are listening to Inclusion Evolution, a bi-weekly podcast that brings you insightful and engaging conversations on diversity, equity, and inclusion in the legal profession, the technology space, the world of sports, and our everyday. Here are your hosts, Lisa Mueller and Michael Kasdan. Welcome back to Inclusion Evolution. I'm Lisa Mueller. And I'm Vivian Coco, filling in for Mike Kasdan. Well, Vivian, here we are. We're back again with another episode. And today we're going to talk about menopause. And I'm really hopeful, in fact, that we're going to try and rip some of the stigma off of it. And to help us do that, we're joined by a very special guest, uh, Jane Wainwright, who is a partner at Potter Clarkson. Liz, I'm very excited to discuss more about this topic. But before we get to our conversation, let me tell you a little bit more about Jane. Jane is a life sciences patent attorney with considerable experience of coordinating patent strategies across the world, including both patent prosecution and third-party issues. She regularly advises her clients on all aspects of filing and prosecution strategy, as well as third-party issues such as oppositions, third-party observations, and due diligence investigations. In particular, she has considerable experience planning worldwide patenting strategies and coordinating their implementation before numerous patent offices, as well as directly representing clients at the European Patent Office. Jane is also passionate about promoting diversity, equity, and inclusion in the workplace and has particular interests in mental health and menopause. An active member of IP Inclusive, she's a signatory of the IP Inclusive Leaders Pledge, which underlines her commitment to implementing a genuine and effective diversity and inclusion agenda at her firm. She is also a founding member of IP Inclusive's Menopause Supporting Working Group and has hosted multiple webinars on menopause for them. And with that extremely impressive background, welcome, Jane. We're so excited to have you here. Oh, thank you, Lisa and Vivian. It's it's really good to be here as well. I'm looking forward to, to, to the chat we're going to have. Oh, likewise. And you certainly have all the knowledge and, and I think the experience on this topic today. So let's go ahead and get started because there's definitely a lot to talk about. And I think maybe, Jane, the best place to start is maybe to level set a little bit so everybody is on the same page. So talk to us a little bit in terms of background about what menopause is and its various different stages. Yep. So menopause is actually something where there's a lot of confusion out there in in the real world. Um, Often you find that the whole menopause journey is just lumped into one term and menopause, which actually quite interestingly when you start to think about the ancient Greek and Latin roots of it, actually is quite simple in terms of what it means. The meno relates to menstruation and pause means it stops. Um, So the actual menopause itself is the the, the point that um, menstruation and and monthly periods stop for for a woman. Um, So menopause itself has four stages. Um, So there's pre-menopause, there is perimenopause, menopause itself, and then post-menopause. Um, so menopause is defined as when a woman hasn't had her monthly period for 12 straight months, and that's quite a simple line in the sand. Pre-menopause, that is the normal hormonal cycle of, of female sex hormones. So that's the up and down of estrogen and progesterone that, that leads to monthly 
period cycles for for a woman and effectively gives the the, the fertility um, for having children. Then you have you have perimenopause, and this is the time that leads up to menopause. So you have menopause, which is the line in the sand relating to the to the no periods for twelve months. Perimenopause is that that time that the the hormones start changing um, from the normal premenopause state. So. Typically, that starts between 45 and 55 um, years of age. Um, if it starts between 40 and 45, that's considered to be early. Um, if it's under 40, which does happen um, more than most people would think, then that's a premature uh, menopause. And there, both the early and premature menopause are actually something that carries additional health risks for women um, because hormones have changed too early and it can lead to higher risks of things like osteoporosis um, because of the knock-on effect on other hormonal systems. So perimenopause is the, the, the time period that most people think of as menopause. And this is where the confusion tends to come because perimenopause is where the symptoms that people recognize and, and have tend to, to happen. And perimenopause normally lasts around four to five years, but it can be up to 10 or more. And, and that's quite a considerable time to a be experiencing. Time. Yeah. To experiencing some of these symptoms. And I mean, many people, most people have probably heard of, of the symptoms around kind of hot flashes, night sweats, um, mood swings, depression, brain fog, forgetfulness. There's around 40 um, symptoms that have kind of been formally linked to perimenopause. And so many of them are, are not ones that you would necessarily expect because you can't directly link them to the sex hormones. So all of those that I just mentioned, they are knock-on effects of sex hormones and the cycle changing and therefore impacting other hormonal and, and, and other um, systems within the body. Some of the symptoms are, are very obviously linked to, to the sex hormones, um, estrogen, progesterone, and also testosterone. Um, so loss of libido, um, loss of sex drive, that's typically linked to testosterone levels changing in women at perimenopause. Um, the estrogen and progesterone levels changing can typically give irregular bleeding. And so that can be, you can miss months, you can have uh, very, very heavy periods, um, sometimes referred to as flooding, um, when it's just so much bleeding occurring. Um, and it, it can just lead to all sorts of kind of haphazard changes within the body. Um, and ultimately, it can be quite debilitating for some women um, because there are so many, many symptoms. But there's no one set of symptoms that every woman has during perimenopause. So, perimenopause gets you to that line in the sand that is menopause, 12 months without a, a, a menstrual period. And after that is post-menopause. And I think most women tend to get to that point and will we'll kind of breathe a sigh of relief that the majority of the symptoms will have have ended. Um, that doesn't mean to say that they go away. That there is still possible to get hot flashes and some of the other symptoms but they are they are much more reduced in frequency and and the um, intensity, um, and certainly most most of the women that I know that have got to post menopause and and kind of lived their life afterwards um, for a while say that that's probably the, the best that they've been in their life and the most productive they've been in a work environment. So there is hope 
for getting through all of this, even if it is a little bit rough along the way. And it's rough for quite a while for women, not just, you know, a year or two. This, like you said, can last up to 10 years. And it can be rough for other people around the woman exactly. as well. Um, yeah. I think everybody is impacted by menopause Impacts in some way. Everybody. Yeah, because if you're not going through it as a, as a, as a woman, um, you could be, it could be your partner, it could be your mother, it could be your child, it could be a, a colleague or a sibling. Yeah, just to hear all this description that you gave the symptoms and everything that can be affected and the amount of time we can be handling with this through our life journey gets me anxious <laughs> a little bit <laughs> but uh, I know that uh, we have some ways out which is great yeah uh, and you get me, to the other side yeah we'll get to the other side uh, Lexology has reported that the perimenopause may affect 50 to 60 percent of the legal sector workforce at some points of their lives, which is understandable as we believe that women represent something around 50 percent of the workforce. Uh, so, but the word menopause is readily uttered, seldom heard in the workplaces let alone in law firms. I think that we were talking about it in the last episode. And when they started chatting about menopause policies in a law firm, I mentioned that's the first time that I ever heard about it, ever. Yeah, the episode was Robert Andrews from um, yeah. Ubernellis, yeah. And so why is this the case? Uh, is it because menopause is considered to be too personal, some kind of a taboo? I think societally, menopause is considered to be a taboo. So I don't think it is just limited to, to law firms. So that's kind of the, the backdrop that we're, we're working with. So if people don't want to talk about it in their normal lives, it's harder to bring that into the, into the workplace. But when you get to the workplace, it gets worse when you're thinking about the law. It's, it's a male-heavy profession. There are generally more men at senior positions um, in terms of things like partners and managers tend to be more men than, than women. So that makes it harder to have role modeling of, of good behavior and, and being open about your own experiences if you're not experiencing it directly. I think that there's quite a lot of difficulties in law because certainly for attorneys and paralegals, um, we're billable hours driven and that causes problems with women generally uh, in terms of struggling when they have families and then menopause. And between the combination of family and then menopause, you can lose women entirely or they can't progress as quickly to kind of the more senior positions, which then compounds that male heavy nature at the top, which makes it harder to talk about these things because there's less people there that are demonstrating that it's it's completely normal. So. I don't think law is massively different from many other industries, but I think that we do probably have slightly more men in senior positions because of some of the other, other factors that affect women and their ability to stay in the profession. So, Jane, I wanted to ask you, you know, as Vivian and I were doing research for this podcast, I came across a lot of news last year in the UK as related to menopause. And I was really, you know, some of it I was pleasantly surprised to read about. And one of the things I came across was in March 2023, the UK government appointed Helen Tomlinson 
DWP menopause employment champion. And in this role, she was to work to start a conversations with businesses and offer a forum for organizations to share experiences and expertise to help improve workplace support for women, which I thought was, was really incredible step by the UK government. And then I saw in September of last year, Newsom Health released an online program entitled Confidence in Menopause, which provides the latest evidence-based information to help support all women going through menopause. And then on the flip side, in October, I read an article about a social worker, Maria Rooney, who initiated a legal action against her employer, which was the Leicester City Council, after alleging she was dismissed due to discrimination over suffering menopause symptoms. And this case made legal history. It was one of the first tribunal cases to consider whether menopausal symptoms were a disability. So I'm curious, you know, that's a lot of activity in one year related to the topic of menopause. So what do you think prompted all this activity in the UK last year? I would say that we've been we've been riding a wave of publicity in the UK. <laughs> and it kind of culminated in in a lot of a lot of really good and useful things um in 2023. So a few years ago, um, we started getting more kind of personalities, TV personalities, celebrities starting to talk a little bit about uh, menopause. And there's one particular lady, uh, Davina McCall, um, that I would pretty much attribute all of the progress that we've been making in the UK in the public forum to her because she did things like she she did some documentaries that have been on TV. She's done written books, really breaking down that stigma, really just talking so openly about menopause and the, the experiences she's had, what she's done in terms of trying medications, all of the different things. And she's one of these celebrities that appeals to lots of different demographics. So she's somebody that people will watch on TV and they'll read her books and they'll they will listen to her. And that really seemed to start the conversation a few years ago. And it just seems to have grown and grown and grown since then. I know we talked about the Davina effect in the UK in terms of the number of women going to their doctors and asking for HRT. So just having been able to see the documentary, read the book, have kind of gone, I recognise all of these things. It's okay to go and ask for help. It's okay to go to the doctor and ask for HRT or some other type of treatment. Then... That kind of just the fact that that happened, we actually ended up having a shortage of HRT because they couldn't accommodate the number of people that were requesting it in the UK. So we're kind of just riding that wave of publicity because then when you get the shortage, it's talked about again. Right. Okay, there's a slight negative part to that, but it's it just keeps bringing that awareness into the public domain. And we seem to have got to that point where the government has started to to really recognise that it is something that matters to people. Yeah, that's incredible. And I mean, it seems like she was telling women, you don't have to suffer in silence. Precisely. And for for those listeners that aren't British and don't know who Davina McCall is, if you're a Doctor Who fan, she was in the Christmas episode of Doctor Who that's just happened in 2023. Um, So she was the the lady that was doing interviewing in that that TV show. That's very interesting. And uh, I believe that in the recent years, many law firms have touted their ambitions to diversify their workforces and improve male representation in senior leadership roles. We've been talking about it a lot here at the podcast. However, 
many will be surprised to know that very few offer support for employees transitioning through menopause. The fallout from this is evident in the statistics. Uh, I found an article published last week at the Harvard Business Review, and they show that 17% of women workforce quit or were considering quitting their jobs due to menopausal symptoms, while other 26% of this female workforce stated they are experiencing symptoms that can seriously impact career progression of, them, of women in the legal field. So this is an inclusion problem. What can law firms do to become more menopause-friendly, for example? I think just starting out by recognizing that it is something that needs to be thought about from an inclusion perspective is is where everybody needs to get to. Um, and that can take the form of lots of different different things. Um, an open dialogue, um, facts, not fiction, tends to be a really good place to start. We all we all will have heard things about the change from from the older generations, and it gets kind of twisted. So, being able to to make sure that people are given facts and not not fiction, so that they can they can address it properly in the workplace is helpful. Being being open, um, whether it's individuals that are going through it, whether it's the the actual firm itself, that the industry being open that helps reduce and remove stigma and shame. Um, and the less shame there is the more that people will will acknowledge that they, that they are suffering and that they need help. I mean, something very simple that a firm can do is just have a menopause policy. And it doesn't need to be particularly complicated. It can just recognise the fact that menopause is something that people will, will experience and it could impact their work. Um, and therefore, that is something that is useful for the, the business to recognise and be willing to make accommodations for. Part of that is education and training particularly for managers, so that they can understand what it is that people that they are managing might be going through. Um, that can be really helpful. But actually, for the whole business, having some level of understanding can be re really, really useful for those that might experience it uh, or might be experiencing it right now. They can know what it is that's going on and that it's okay to experience it. For the for the future generations, the, the those that are younger and have not got there, knowing what might be coming for them and that their employer is is understanding can be really helpful. So doing doing menopause awareness sessions um, can be really really good. Um, something else that that's that you start to see more of is menopause champions and kind of support groups internally within businesses where where people that are experiencing menopause or have got family or, or colleagues experiencing menopause, then they can they can go and talk about it. And just being able to to share kind of hints and tips of things for coping with some symptoms is really helpful for for some some women. I mentioned it already. Um, providing accommodations um, that's something that that tends to be overlooked, even though thinking about inclusion and disability accommodations tends to be the thing that that jumps to mind initially. But something as simple as being able to provide fans. Yeah, um, that, so that, that to me is such a simple accommodation and yeah. so inexpensive that would help a woman tremendously who's going through perimenopause, let's say. Exactly. And those hot flashes, they don't last very long, no. but they are extremely uncomfortable. Um, yeah. So being able to have access to a fan could be helpful. 
Um, having a, a, a private room where someone can go and rest, if they are having a hot flush that's lasting a little bit longer and they just need to go and calm themselves, having a, a private room where that could be done, preferably one where you can change the temperature so that it can be made cool. Um, again, that can be really, really helpful. Um, allowing for extra breaks because of brain fog and the, the kind of the fuzziness and the forgetfulness, people do may need a bit more time and, and ability to just go away, collect their thoughts and come back. For some women, for some women, flexibility to work from home more. If they've got particularly bad symptoms at times, then actually just being able to work from home may be useful. Work roles and responsibilities is an interesting accommodation that could be made, um, but it's very, very complex for most businesses. Um, clearly, if if someone is struggling to concentrate, can't focus as well, potentially temporary changes to their working hours or their hours targets may be something that is useful, um, but that can be very complicated from a business planning perspective. Just things like um, health insurance, um, employee assistance programs, most businesses have have those uh, in some way, shape or form, and they often can cover the cost of consultations or yeah. treatments um, and potentially some kind of ancillary things like um, some counselling and therapy to help with some of the mood swings and depression. Um, so there's there's lots of areas in those kind of health programs that could be helpful. That's that's really nice. And when I heard uh, all of this that you mentioned that we could do, and they are important, but they are really not something expensive exactly. or that takes a lot of time to be implemented. And one thing that I was uh, thinking about it is how important it is to have uh, women in leadership positions inside firms. Because it's understandable that sometimes uh, if you have a man as a boss or you don't feel exactly well to talk about it with him, you, you are ashamed, you feel that he will not understand, uh, and maybe he will not have the eyes, even if he wants to, to, to identify this kind of things going on. I recently had this in, in, my, uh, in my group, a woman that works with me for seven years or something in my group. She's great. And the other colleagues, two of them, my, the coordinators that I asked to help me with the entire group, they came to me to say, so she's not, she's not good anymore. Uh, she is forgetting everything. She has a low concentration. She, I believe she's depressed. She starts start to cry. Sometimes she starts to yell, to yell and uh, the moodness thing. And they were really upset with her. Like, you need to do, to do something or you talk to her and put her in line or you need to fire her and find someone else because it's, it's not good for the entire group. And then when they started to tell me all everything that were happening, and I know her for a lot of years, and, and I know she, this is not like she usually is at the firm, and she is now around 50 years. 
And I called her alone and said, okay, let's sit here. Let me talk to you. Uh, what are you feeling? And then she started to cry a lot. She said, oh, I'm going through perimenopause. This is really hard. I can't concentrate. I have fights with my husband. I feel depressed. I feel I'm no longer good. Uh, I cannot do everything that I did before. And then I realized that she was suffering a lot for a long time. And no one paid attention to what was going on. And then we did some changes in her daily routine. And uh, I asked her to go to the doctor and start some therapy as well to help go through the process. And she's a completely different person now. And this happened three months ago. At the end of the year, she said, Thank Vivian, thank God you came to me. I'm so happy. Now I feel released. Now I can. And all the colleagues are saying, oh, now she is uh, better than before. But, you know, uh, and it's different. And I thought, why I uh, was not able to, to see it before? As a woman, as her, her leader, uh, imagine others. So I think that it's very important to, to, to pay attention to the symptoms, to have women leaders being empathetic about it. That's my piece of, of story here. <laughs> that, I mean, that demonstrates awareness is so important that yeah. by talking to her, you were, you were just able to understand what was going on and the light bulb went off. If people don't have that understanding and the awareness, they're not going to yeah. be able to it's help. It's difficult. So. Yeah. And that's where I think, Jane, the part you mentioned about the education piece is so important yeah. because, you know, her colleagues around her who had worked with her, all of a sudden she went from not being good, from being good to be not being good. And it didn't, you know, realize, uh, you know, they didn't appreciate either that maybe, you know, this was what was happening. Um, and I think that's where the education is so important that, you know, it, colleagues can then start to connect the dots. So this person, you know, seems to be exhibiting these symptoms or a female, they might be perimenopausal and that might be the explanation. So I think where that that's really where the education is really important. Yeah. Absolutely. I think that story is quite typical of lots and lots of women that their colleagues get fed up of them and they get fed up of themselves. And this one had an incredible ending. I'm sure most of them don't end in such a positive way. Yeah, that's the sad part. Uh, Jane, can you share with us some of the initiatives and other activities you are involved with in, related to menopause in the workplace, in your law firm, or in like, inclusive, for example? Yeah, so I, I think for me, it's a kind of a two-prong approach that within the firm, we, we do have employee assistance programs that provide things like the, the, the counselling. We're actually talking at the moment about how we might be able to do something a little bit more bespoke for, for menopause. So looking at trying to provide a kind of a first consultation privately, because one of the difficulties in the UK is getting to a, a, a national health service doctor and getting them to, to, to talk to you about it is quite tricky. So we're looking at that at the moment about, about trying to implement something a bit more broadly. We have we have a peer support group within the firm um, as well, so people get together reasonably regularly um, to to talk about menopause and compare stories and 
empathize and sympathize and, and, and just eat chocolate, which is it's not a great thing in some ways, but it works on, at times. So we do have a menopause policy at the firm. Um, it's probably not as extensive as, as some, some of the more kind of forward thinking firms, but it's, we do acknowledge it and we are trying to work on it, which is, which is a really good thing. You have one, which um, is at least a, you exactly, know, exactly yeah. a place to start, a beginning. Yes. Yes. Exactly, and then um, I mean, what my my other kind of focus personally is is through IP inclusive, and um, IP inclusive in the UK is is around the, the the diversity and inclusivity for for all types of of inclusivity issues, and it kind of came out maybe about eighteen months ago now that the women in IP group on its own wasn't really enough to cover off some of this because menopause wasn't just a, a women's thing. Um, it kind of covered mental health. It kind of covered impacts on men. So um, so we launched a group just working on on doing more education around menopause within the IP profession in, in the UK. So um, so IP Inclusive, we've run a number of, of webinars on various aspects. Some of it's people sharing their personal experiences, others invited speakers coming in to talk about the science of menopause, talking about nutrition um, and then other health factors. Um, so for me personally, I'm trying to come at it from two different di- directions. It's the kind of how do I support people generally, but also how do I, how do we as a firm and how do I contribute to our firm doing something that's useful? And Jane, let me ask you for those people who may not be members of IP inclusive, let's say you're like myself, somebody from outside the US or Vivian, for example, are some of those webinars on available just for anybody to watch on IP inclusive's website or are they behind like a membership wall? No, pretty much everything as far as I'm aware is is available to the general public. Um, typically to sign up to attend in person, um, you need to be involved in the, the IP industry in the UK. But actually the the information is there freely available on, on the IP inclusive website. Great. So please do go and check it out. Yeah, it sounds like there's some really helpful webinars and things for women who are listening to this podcast might be interested in. Yeah, we've also got um, a, a set of resources, so not just the webinars, oh, there's kind of links and, and information. And we are shortly going to be launching some menopause stories on there as well. So some of our members talking about their experience or um, I've just written a series of kind of dear diary entries to be put on oh, there neat. to go through my experience. So different ways of accessing kind of the the, the stories around menopause. That's fantastic because I think the more people are open and talking about it, you know, the more we're going to be able to reduce the stigma, hopefully eventually get to a point where we eliminate the taboo that we've been talking about. That's the goal. Well, uh, we've largely been talking about menopause at the workplace here, but since uh, the three of us are involved in some way with innovation, science, technology, It seems to me that menopause care is largely an untaped market that is ripe for innovation. In fact, we are seeing the creation of a lot of male-founded startups that are working on tackling menopause. Do you think this trend will continue? I think this is an area where it it is absolutely ripe for innovation. I absolutely agree. There are a lot of different different small startups looking at it, and actually, big pharma is starting to be more more interested as well. 
finally, right? We're only half the population of the world. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But yeah, it was on the news this morning in the UK, um, on the breakfast news this morning about um, an approval for um, Vioza. So that's from the Stellis, uh, big pharma company. Yeah. But that's a non-hormonal treatment. Um, and that's just been approved for use in the UK. So we're finally starting to see those treatments coming through and the interest from big pharma. But yeah, the small companies, and they're often female, female-led, as, as you said, Vivian, um, so I, I, coincidentally, I was talking to, to somebody um, by email I was introduced to last week um, that is working in a in a, a small biotech looking to, to have better at home testing to try and help diagnose and, uh, and perimenopause. Um, and then there are other startups out there as well. There's, and they're all over the world. Um, so there's some in the US. Um, so Alloy Women's Health. Um, so that's kind of telehealth. Um, then there is AI apps. So Korea uh, is an example of that. Personalized menopause and post care using AI. There's um, UK startups, dietary supplements, for example. So M powder. Um, so there are a lot of a lot of options about trying to understand menopause on a personal level and then trying to treat it, and not just with the standard hormone therapies. Yeah, it's going to be really exciting to watch. There's a lot going on, and it's really nice to see. And hopefully there'll be a lot more for support available for women going forward from here on out. Yeah. So, Jane, as the podcast comes to the close, what would you say women should do when they are at work and experience peri-slash-menopausal symptoms? I think the main thing is not to be embarrassed or ashamed. Exactly. It's entirely normal and all other women are going to go through it in some shape or form. So do not be embarrassed or ashamed. I think when you actually experience the symptoms, it's 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 stopping and acknowledging them. Actually, stopping and acknowledge them, acknowledging them for yourself. Um, yes, this is a hot hot flash. I know that's what it is. Or kind of, oh yeah, I did probably get a little bit too angry there, or a little bit too upset there, and taking that step back and acknowledging it. Um, that acknowledging is is a power in itself because it allows you to to, to recognize and, and reframe what's what's going on but actually acknowledging it kind of publicly as well if you're sitting in a meeting with other people and you get a hot flash or you suddenly just lose your train of thought say so um we're all adults everyone should be able to cope with the fact that you might need a couple of seconds just to 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 compose yourself so there should not be shame. And that is what a lot of what we're, we're trying to do with this podcast, with, with all the work that IP Inclusive is doing, is to take that shame away. So if you're open and you just say, look, sorry, I've lost my train of thought. Give me a sec. Even acknowledging it might be menopause, perimenopause, just that kind of perimenopause brain. Just say something. Ask for a few seconds. If it's particularly bad, just say, look, can we take a five-minute break? Um, let me just go and get a drink of water. Um, I just need some a little bit of time. I mean, to be quite honest, if people won't do that, that's really rubbish. Exactly. It's really quite, quite nasty to not give somebody five minutes to go and get a, a drink of water, go to the bathroom and just recompose themselves. I mean, they're yeah. probably not people that you really want to be working exactly. with, frankly. Yeah. So be open, acknowledge what's happening for yourself and for others um, and 
at the point that people feel able to talk about what they are doing really publicly, then do it. Don't be afraid. I talk about my symptoms. I talk about my experiences a lot. And I don't think anybody looks at me any differently. And if they do, I don't care. Exactly. That was so well said. And Jane, thank you for being on the podcast today. But more importantly, thank you for everything that you're doing for women to try and help break down this barrier when it comes to menopause and remove the stigma. We all really appreciate everything that you're doing. Thank you. And thank you for having me. It's been been fun. Oh, it's been our pleasure. And that's it for this week's episode. Vivian and I will catch you next time on Inclusion Evolution. Thank you for listening to Inclusion Evolution. The views expressed during this podcast are solely those of the hosts and not of their respective law firms. Share your thoughts with us by emailing us at llmuller at casimerjones.com or mkasden at wigan.com. 